Uh, Isan Dorsey remarked, you get what you deserve whether you deserve it or not. Please sit comfortably. Uh, Isan Dorsey's uh, koan is a, is a great koan, um, which uh, is probably one of the koans that, that people bring to you with a kind of sense of, wow. <laughs> um, but it also keeps opening up. I mean, it sounds kind of desperately fatalistic um, but in its core uh, it's the way uh, itself um, uh, here's a teacher taught in the Soto uh, tradition it's a Soto uh, koan and uh, as such connects back to because uh, you know, uh, Contemporary Soto has been, uh, the last couple of hundred years at least, not been concerned with um, Cowans as the central aspect of teaching that happens. Um, but earlier, uh, Soto and in China, the Saodong traditions are a magnificent and mighty Cowan uh, traditions indeed. Um, yeah. So Isan Dorsey was born Tommy Dorsey Jr. in 1933 in Santa Barbara, California. He was raised in a Catholic family, the youngest of ten siblings. As a boy, he aspired to become an entertainer and studied dance and piano. While in junior college, he became dissatisfied with his life, so he joined the US Navy. During the Korean War, Dorsey and a male lover were expelled from the Navy giving him the opportunity to spend several years in and out of employment, finally settling into a job as a waiter in a bar in North Beach and becoming a performer there. As a drag queen, Tommy D, who looked like the girl next door, worked the bars, dealt drugs, did cabaret, and worked as a male prostitute. Tommy underwent a transformation in the late 1960s when he began sitting at San Francisco Zen Center and Shunru Suzuki um, became his teacher. Walking down Haight Street one day, Tommy stooped to pick up a candy wrapper. He reports it as following, follows. I bent down and picked it up and right as I did, I said to myself, does this mean I am responsible for everything I see? I told myself it didn't, but actually I knew that it did. Um, I, I must admit it's very touching because I don't normally have an inclination to pick up um, uh, old coffee um, cartons in car parks and things like that, but I can never get this out of my system and get out of my car and someone's... And I immediately go and pick it up. It's, it's Tommy Dorsey, his son Dorsey, uh, behind that. And becomes habitual. By the way, this has not extended to my home life and I'm still working on that. <laughs> <laughs> However, car parks are <laughs> fine. Uh, where are the limits? Tommy was eventually ordained by Richard Baker, Suzuki's successor and abbot of the San Francisco Zen Center and given the Dharma name Isan. What emerges from Isan's long commitment to the San Francisco Zen Center was his humanity, 
his unassuming kindness, humour and the depth of his involvement. Dharma became his life and the Sangha his long-sought family. This was evident in the crisis that engulfed the Zen centre when Baker was found to be having an extramarital affair with the wife of one of the Sangha's benefactors and was forced to resign. Isan stayed loyal to Baker throughout the Troubles. When he was questioned about this, he simply said, but he's my teacher. Yeah, I love his loyalty. And it reminds me of, um, I've quoted this recently, but I'd like to quote it again. Um, when uh, Kevin Rudd, when everything was over with his prime ministership and he had to do literally a last walk to the um, to the party room uh, um, from his office and uh, he started this walk you can imagine how he felt and uh, Doug Cameron um, Senator Doug Cameron joined him uh, saying uh, no, no man should have to do this walk alone uh, that kind of spirit So, yeah, concerning karma. In the popular imagination, karma is chiefly seen as retributive. This is because we are bound up in the dramas of the small self and also with questions of right and wrong, good and evil, and all the rest. However, the overwhelming karmic fact of life is that we are born at all and that we are born into this universe that is some 13.8 billion years old on this strange and beautiful planet which we humans are so busy despoiling. How strange, how miraculous. Our karma is also intensely bound up in whether we are born male or female. Our gender determines a lot about who we are, though it's not immutable, as transsexuality shows. Our genetic inheritance is important too, and on a vaster scale, going all the way back to the single-celled amoeba, our evolutionary inheritance. Obviously, the culture into which we are born and the country into which, in which we are raised are deeply consequential. We inhabit the reality of our inherited situation, whether we like it or not, whether we deserve it or not. Uh, you don't actually have to deserve your life uh, either, either. It's freely given. Actually, our life unfolds beyond being deserved or not being deserved. Actually, the way unfolds uh, beyond being deserved or not being deserved. In a subtle way, uh, to take Isam's statement, uh, you get what you deserve regardless of whether you deserve it or not. Uh, depends on what you mean too, Bo, you get what you deserve. You don't have to deserve your life, but here it is, utterly beyond being deserved or not. Just this. Just this right here now. Shining boards, 
bright clouds, blue sky, each one of us radically different. boundlessly inhabiting and boundlessly inhabited by this. Uh, not out of this, not other than your true face, your true home. Our heart beats, our blood circulates whether we deserve it or not. We are born regardless of our deserving, we grow up and mature regardless, we get our heart broken regardless and we die regardless of whether we deserve it or not. All these larger karmic forces play out beyond simple retributive karma which is the part which we're mostly interested in. We take the big karmic picture for granted but it's good to bring it into focus. Although it is true that our past actions often generate present consequences and we can ruefully acknowledge that we got what we deserved. I doubt that this sliver of retributive karma is in any way absolute. It is certainly easy to imagine it otherwise and I suspect it often is. To take retributive karma as absolute is to take an awful lot on trust. Our views of karma are all so shaped, uh, not just retributive from when we do um, stuff, bad stuff or have bad stuff done to us, it's also shaped by doing good for which in a quiet way we may expect to be rewarded. There's also that kind of karma. Sometimes that doesn't work out as we intended either, uh, to our regret. We may run ahead of our karma seeking to evade consequence. Um, or we may carefully calculate, if I do this, uh, I will get this. Um, so often uh, we function transactionally. If I scratch your back, will you scratch mine? Uh, true practice can get us beyond the transactional and to, so we practice for practice sake, we live for life's sake. Um, what's the Kantian expression for treating human beings as a whole and not transactionally or not for what we can get out of them? There's a term and it just escapes me at the moment. Um, it's all right. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, when I put my head on the pillow tonight, I know it will come. come but you, you get the idea, treating human beings. Yes, yes. Treating human beings in the fullness of their humanity rather than for what we can get out of them. Um, there was a, just a special famous term. To Altruism? Sorry? Altruism. But it relates to altruism, but altruism is not the term. Um, it's, is it the categorical? Term? Yes. 
But it's a categorical imperative. It's not. It, it's part of that. But there's a special term. I'm sorry, but you get the idea. It's a straightforward. Pardon? No, not that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's unconditional. That that's the, that is the point. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, so yeah, treating them as integral, uh, as whole. So, and uh, uh, Arthur Wells, I quote this all the time, but uh, he, you know, when he says, you know, you meet someone coming down the corridor in Yukasha, and the Gasha means uh, equally a coming Buddha, uh, equally empty, equally to be loved. Um, and that gives the, the Zen sense of that uh, quite beautifully. Um, in terms of, you know, the kind of karmic... Uh, uh, rant, uh, you know, politics. I mean, I, I, I find it hard not to be obsessed by U.S. politics, for instance, and Australian politics. As a, um, so, sitting there, you know, watching 7:30 report with Antoinette, and uh, oh no, not that again. <laughs> and uh, you know, good versus evil, right versus wrong, all of that stuff, you know, just surfaces, you know, in a, in a wave, and. Uh, I like John's expression, John Tarrant's expression, fasting of the heart, like, like try to keep some control on that stuff. I mean, it's good to, it feels good to vent, you know, um, and it's, it seems to temporarily relieve the heart. But, um, yeah, I think in the long run it's not good. Well, in the short run it's not good either. So, you know, the precept of not speaking of the faults of others, you know, which seems like a distant consideration in front of the TV, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's good. And taking a precept like that quite literally for a week on end is huge, it's, and it makes a tremendous difference, I find. Well, not just for a week, but, you know, uh, try it out. Um, John used to refer to it as fasting of the heart. And I think it's wise. So if we, re if we believe in rebirth, then we may trust that the good actions of this life may mature in the next, and that lifetime after lifetime, uh, we may deepen the good we do, burn up past evil karma, and finally step off the wheel of birth and death. Or, as bodhisattvas, rather delay our stepping off until all beings are liberated. That's the grand archetype of the Bodhisattva way. Um, and I touched on the matter the other night in the talk then, but this larger picture, which is absolutely integral to the, the whole of the Zen tradition, the whole of the Vipassana uh, tradition, uh, in the West has slowly become silent or gone out of focus and uh, much more concentrated on this life um, now. And for me, it's a big question, what kind of difference... It seems to make a profound difference to what the practice is. Um, I asked Glenn Wallace about this on the phone. I so wanted to got into our conversation. He said, well, it certainly says you better hurry up in this life then if you, if you, don't adopt, if you do not uh, take the notion of rebirth. Um, then this life is it. Uh, right now is it. Uh, no hanging about. I think that's pretty good teaching, actually. 
But the question still remains as a, as a kind of a major shift in what has happened uh, with some of those Buddhist traditions coming uh, to the West. But what if we believe that this life is it and that death ends all? What Chris Barker calls the bare-knuckle ride of this life bounded by birth and death. But, you know, whether it's uh, the many lives account or the this life account, it is still just this. Uh, many lives coalesce, if you will, as this just this. This is what we have. So we conventionally regard karma as cause and effect unfolding in a linear way. However, we can also understand karma as mysterious affinity, especially as it finds its expression through love, but also friendships, family and sangha relations. Mysterious affinity, um, those clusterings, uh, which are not causal in the ordinary sense, um, but you know, bring us together as a sangha. Um, you know, sitting for some like 40 years, the sangha has been sitting, people come and go within sangha. Um, here we are today in Zazenkai. Um, and those connections are almost beyond words in terms of their depths, of the depths of just sitting together, um, not trying to make connection at all. Um, yeah. But uh, the Japanese have this beautiful expression, mysterious affinity, um, that develops. And I just want to say I'm so grateful for this and for us to be able to sit like this. Yeah, deepening is not just personal, it's also communal. And the two are completely interfused. So I thought it might be nice to celebrate Mysterious Affinity um, uh, today with a little tune. It's called Samba de Kama. And uh, this uh, is a little piece I wrote. Um, I met um, a Jeff who I played hundreds of gigs with on double bass and never seemed to have had a fight or a disagreement, um, mainly sit on the pavement after the and drink coffee outside of various places and far into the night. And his partner of that time, Claudine, and their little boy, Oscar, was a baby uh, at the time. They lived just uh, up the railway line, stone's throw, really, from here. And uh, we used to gather. Um, and I remember... we did some gig or something, and he came up to me and he said, uh, you interested in Astor Piazzolla tangos? And I said, yeah. I said, I really like the early ones. He said, we only do later Astor Piazzolla tangos. I said, oh, that sounds fine. <laughs> so that's how the band was formed, and we used to rehearse uh, there. And uh, so, um, so Kathy played viola, uh, Jenny played cello, Jeff was on double bass, I played accordion, Claudine is the singer. Um, it's a slightly different group that does the actual recording of the, the tune. Um, and the inspiration for the tune came from Mary, who once said to me, you don't always get what you want, you just get the next thing that's coming, was her uh, great thing. It's a wonderful 
that fits totally with tonight's talk. So I wanted to take the opportunity to um, to play that little tune as part of this uh, Tay Show tonight. Um, Anthony Cormican on this recording plays all the guitars, including bass guitar, my, my friend and collaborator of more than 20 years. Um, Claudine Lost, who comes from Belgium, uh, uh, is singing. Cathy, Cathy Potter is playing viola, and uh, I'm on accordion. And I've got a thing here, it says, Q Desmond. <laughs>
Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Desmond. Well, I guess I not much to say after that. <laughs> you don't always get what you want, so. <laughs> yeah. Do you get what you need? That's an interesting distinction there. Yeah. Sometimes not getting what we want is maybe what we need. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, there's a, uh, finally, a beautiful story of Isan and his friend David. Uh, Isan had conduct, uh, contracted AIDS and was very weak and close to death. A friend of his was carrying him to the toilet, looking down at Isan and seeing how pitifully emaciated he looked. His friend burst into tears and said, I'll miss you, Isan. Isan replied, I'll miss you too. Are you going away? <laughs>